0: If you have a copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to turn with me this morning to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. 1931, James Truslow Adams popularized a phrase in his book, The Epic of America. The phrase that he popularized was the American dream. And he defined the American dream this way He said, It is that dream of a land in which life should be better and richer and fuller for everyone with opportunity for each according to ability or achievement. And that's a good thing. A country in which everyone can succeed. A country in which everyone has the ability, the opportunity to do everything that their abilities allow them to do. But over the years, that phrase, the American dream has morphed into something different. It's morphed into something more. It's morphed into this urge, this urge to acquire more and more, more wealth, more possessions, more power. It's this urge to climb the ladder. It's this urge to keep up with the Joneses. It's this urge to have more and more and more. And we believe that if, if, We ever climb the ladder, if ever we get ahead of the Joneses, then we will have that one thing that we're really looking for, happiness and peace and contentment. We will discover that that emptiness that is inside of us is gone. Now, I'm convinced that everyone, regardless of age, regardless of race, regardless of stage of life, are all looking for the same thing. I'm convinced that each and every one of us want satisfaction. We want contentment. We want to find meaning and purpose in our life. And Solomon was no different than any of us. Solomon was looking for the exact same thing. In Ecclesiastes chapter six, Solomon wrote this. He said, though a man lives a thousand years twice over, but doesn't find contentment, Well, what's the use? He said, though a person could live for 2,000 years, if they lived that long and they, they didn't find contentment, they didn't find peace, they didn't find purpose, what would it really matter? Last week, we discovered that Solomon wanted satisfaction just like us. And yet, at every turn, he discovered that life was empty. Life was tiresome. Life was was meaningless. And the only difference between Solomon and us is that Solomon had unlimited potential and unlimited resources in his search to find meaning and purpose in life. He had more money than any person before him and probably after him. And he had no one that could tell him what to do. And so as he searched for meaning, for satisfaction, for purpose, he went down every road imaginable. Most of us are are limited in our search. We're either limited by finances. We don't have the finances to do some of the things that we think would make us feel better. Or we have responsibilities that are keeping us tied down and are keeping us from doing things. Or for some of us who are younger, it may be our parents that are keeping us from doing some of the things that would really bring us fulfillment and and meaning and purpose in life. But Solomon had none of that. He had unlimited resources. And yet at the end of it all, he said everything is empty. Everything is meaningless. Nothing provides purpose. Now, what roads did Solomon go down? Well, that's what we're going to look at today. The first road that he went down was education, learning. And yet, when he came to the end of this road, he discovered that education won't ever lead to satisfaction. Listen to what he said, beginning in chapter 1, verse 13. He said, I applied myself to search for understanding about everything in the universe. I said to myself, look, I am better educated than any of the kings before me in Jerusalem. I have greater wisdom and knowledge, so I worked hard to be wise instead of foolish. But now I realize that even this was, was like chasing the wind. For the more my wisdom, the more my grief. To increase knowledge only increases distress. Now, last week, we discovered that Solomon was blessed by God with more wisdom than any man before him and any man after him. But Solomon didn't just rely on his God-given wisdom. The Bible says here that he devoted himself to understanding everything. Solomon went to the university, and he hit the books, and he studies everything— that he can get his hands on. He studies science. He studies philosophy. He studies ethics. Hoping to find in this world of knowledge the key that will unlock the door to happiness in life. But at the end of everything he learned. He said that all of my learning has just increased my grief. All of my learning has just increased my distress. He discovered that human knowledge can answer the question of time, but it can't answer the question of eternity. He discovered that philosophy can answer the question about a man's mind, but it can't answer the question about a a man's soul. He discovered that science can answer the question about how a man dies, But science will never be able to answer the question of when a man dies, will he live again? He discovered that ethics can answer the question how a man can be made right with another man. But ethics can never answer the question how a man can be made right with God. Now don't misunderstand me. The Bible isn't saying that education is a bad thing. It's not. We should strive to learn as much as we can. God gave us minds to use. And the truth of the matter is, as we learn things, we will discover that our learning will open doors for us. You need to learn everything you can if you want to be good at things. And I am convinced that we need to be lifelong learners Just because we graduate from high school or we graduate from the university doesn't mean we stop learning. Until the day we die, we should seek to learn other truths. But what you need to understand is you can have all the degrees in the world. You can have a BS, an MBA, a PhD, an an MD. You can have so many degrees that they call you Dr. Fahrenheit. But having all of those degrees and all of that knowledge and all of that wisdom is never going to fill the emptiness in your life. It's good, it's helpful, but it's not going to fill that void. Solomon said this in chapter 2. He says, the wise can see where they're going, but the fool walks in the dark. In other words, if you got a choice between being wise or being foolish, choose wisdom. It's a whole lot better to know where you're going, to know where you're headed, than to not go. No. But then he says this, yet the wise and the foolish share the same fate. Both will die. Both will be forgotten. You need to understand that learning and education opens doors, but it's not that magic key that's going to open the door to meaning and purpose and fulfillment in your life. We have this idea that that education is the answer to all of our problems. So we worship on the shrine of learning. And we've made education our God. And yet Solomon, after all of his learning, discovered that education and learning in and of itself will never fill the void, will never fill the emptiness in your life. Some of the most miserable people I have met in life are some of the most intelligent people I've met in life. So he tried learning and education, but it left him empty. So next he moved to another subject. He moved to pleasure, but he discovered that all the pleasure that he could possibly attain could not lead to satisfaction. Listen to what he said in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 1. He said, I said to myself, come on, uh, let's try pleasure. Let's look for the good things in life. But I found that this too was meaningless. So I said, laughter is silly. What good does it do to seek pleasure? After much thought, I decided to cheer myself with wine. And while still seeking wisdom, I clutched at foolishness. In this way, I tried to experience the only happiness most people find during their brief life in, uh, in this world. I hired Wonderful singers, both men and women. I had many beautiful concubines. I had everything a man could desire. Anything I wanted, I would take. I denied myself no pleasure. But as I looked at everything, it was also meaningless. Like chasing the wind. There was nothing really worthwhile anywhere. Solomon's philosophy was if it feels good, do it. And if there was ever anyone... Who could find happiness and peace and meaning in this approach? It was Solomon. Because he had all the resources possible to enjoy life. And yet after years and years of trying everything imaginable, Solomon said, you don't find meaning in pleasure. Now what's sad is it's been almost 3,000 years since Solomon And we're still looking for meaning and happiness in pleasure. Those who compose our music, those who design our clothes, those who direct our TV shows and our movies are all telling us, if it feels good, do it. Don't let your inhibitions hold you back, you're going to find happiness, you're going to find joy, you're going to find satisfaction in letting go and doing whatever you want to do. But that's just not true. Jerry Feinsfeld, who is an incredible comedian, said this. He said, everybody is looking for three things. Everybody is looking for good sex, good food, and a good laugh. And then he said this, there are little islands of relief in what is often a painful existence. People in the world are looking for good sex, good food, good laugh. Why? Because it's a little island of relief in a painful existence. What's crazy is that's exactly what Solomon said. You see, people are miserable. And they're looking for something. They're looking for anything that can fill this emptiness in their lives. But Solomon discovered that, that laughing your way through life won't help. I heard a story about, about this man who was miserable. He was despondent. He was in despair. I mean, he was in depression to the point of wanting to take his life. And so he went to the doctor. And the doctor gave him an examination from the top of his head to the tip of his toes. And and after looking at him and examining him and doing all kind of tests on him, he couldn't find anything physically wrong with him. So he discovered that that what was going on must be in his mind. And so he said, I've got something I think will help. There's a circus in town. And, And the circus says that they have a clown that's the funniest man on earth. I went to the circus last night. And I got to tell you, this guy is hilarious. He had me laughing so hard, I was crying. I think if you go and, and listen to him and watch him, you'll feel better. I've got tickets to the front row, you go. Well, the man just sat there and started weeping, started bawling like a baby. And the doctor said, what's wrong? And the man said, doctor, I'm that clown. You see, there are a lot of people who were laughing on the outside, who are miserable on the inside. Just because you're able to laugh and cut a joke doesn't mean that you're happy. Mark Twain said this. He said, everyone is a moon that has a dark side which he never shows to anybody. Did you get that? Everybody is a moon who has a dark side that he never shows to anybody. Solomon said it that way in Proverbs 14. He said, Laughter can conceal a heavy heart, but when the laughter ends, the grief remains. Did you hear that? I mean, just because you're laughing doesn't mean you're happy. Solomon tried laughter, it made him empty inside. Then he turned to drinking, but he couldn't drink his way to happiness. He had the best liquor cabinet money could buy. He had the best wine, the best craft beer. He had it all. And he drank and he drank and he drank, but in the end, it left him empty on the inside. There are some people that have this idea that if I if I have the right wine or I have the right beer or I have the right mixed drink, it's going to help me feel better. And listen, it may. It may. For a moment, for a season. But when the alcohol wears off, the feeling of despair, the feeling of depression, the feeling of despondency is gonna still be there. Back years ago, when we lived in Orlando, Sherry and I were at this rough patch in our marriage. We loved each other, we were committed to each other, but man, I just I just wasn't being a, a very good husband. I was. I was stressed out. I was wound tight. And we went to a counselor, a Christian counselor. And the counselor said, Rocky, what you need to do is you just need to go on your patio every night and drink a glass of wine. And I said, well, I'm not going to do that. I mean, what he was saying is if you take this glass of wine, you drink it, it's going to help you relax. And it may. It may help you relax. But what are you going to do when that glass of wine wears off? You're going to drink another one and drink another one? And drink another one. And that's what a lot of people do. You see, they think that somehow, some way, if they drink enough or they pop the right pill, all their pain, all their emptiness is going to go away. But trust me, it doesn't. This morning... Early this morning, I found some statistics on the National Institute for Alcohol and Alcoholism website. This is a government agency. This isn't a Christian organization. This is a government agency. I want you to listen to what their website says this morning. Alcohol contributes to about 18.5% of all emergency room visits. 18.5%. And 22.1% of all overdose deaths... Are related to alcohol. An estimated 95,000 people die from alcohol-related deaths every single year. Alcohol is the third leading cause of preventable death in the United States. In 2019, alcohol-impaired driving fatalities accounted for 10,142 deaths. That's 28% of all driving-related deaths. In 2010, alcohol misuse cost the United States $249 billion. Now hear me. This isn't a message against alcohol. I want you to hear that. Drinking alcohol, social drinking, that's a debatable issue. And there are people that love Jesus who, who fall on both sides of this issue. And they look at verses and they say that these verses say this to them. And I understand all of that. And so if you're a social drinker here today, I'm not telling you that drinking a glass of wine or a can of beer or a mixed drink is going to send you to hell. It's not. It's not. But I want you to hear what Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, said about alcohol. He said, wine produces mockers. Strong alcohol leads to brawls. Those who are led astray by drink cannot be wise what that is saying is this when I get to the point where the alcohol is affecting me the way I act the way I feel the way I think I'm in danger and the truth of the matter is if we're honest most of us we can't drink a whole lot With that alcohol not affecting us. And so the struggle is, where do we draw the line? Where do we stop? Because that drinking, it may make you feel better for a moment. It may help you be the life of the party for one night. But when you wake up, you're going to be the same person you were before the alcohol energy system. Solomon said... You're not going to find what you're looking for in alcohol. And then he said, you're not going to find what you're looking for in sex. I mean, if ever anyone could find happiness in sex, it was Solomon. He had 700 wives, 300 concubines. Let that sink in. What that means is Solomon could have slept with a different woman every night for two and a half years, not sleeping with the same woman. He had all the sex He could possibly want from the most beautiful, the most erotic women in the world. And all of the sex that he experienced, it didn't fill the emptiness. It didn't fill the void in his life. It left him empty. I want you to hear me. Sex will never fill the emptiness in your life. There are some of you young people who who aren't married, and you're thinking that that if I just have sex with the right partner and I get with the right person, it's going to make me feel better about myself. It won't. It won't. That's why the Bible tells us to avoid sexual immorality. The Bible says that sexual sin is a sin against our own body. It's a serious thing. And so in the end, after Solomon tries all of these things, he tells us, pleasure? You're never going to find what you're looking for in pleasure. Let me give you three truths about about pleasure, if I may, just in passing. One, there's pleasure in sin. Don't, Don't ever listen to a preacher that tells you that sin isn't fun. There's pleasure in sin. Second truth. The pleasure is temporary. is for a season. It has an ending point. For some people that ending point may come quickly. For other people that ending point may last a lifetime. But understand when we're trying to find what we're looking for in pleasurable sin. It's going to come to an end. And when it comes to an end there's consequences. There's consequences. Solomon tried pleasure. But it left him empty. So he tried something else. He tried work. He felt like if he worked hard, then he could find what he's looking for. But he discovered that work won't lead to satisfaction listen to what he said in chapter 2 he said i also tried to find meaning by building huge halls for myself and by planting beautiful vineyards I, I made gardens and parks filling them with all kinds of fruit trees i built reservoirs to collect the water to irrigate my many flourishing groves i even found great pleasure in hard work a reward for all my labors but as i looked at everything i'd worked so hard to accomplish it was all so Meaningless. Solomon decided that he was going to work long enough and hard enough to find meaning in life. And so he poured himself into his work, to his projects. And oh, let me tell you, he was an incredible worker and he built an amazing portfolio. But after all the things that he built and all of the projects that he accomplished he came to the end of it and he said it's all meaningless there are people today who are working and working and working because they believe that they work hard enough and they work long enough and they sacrifice enough and they put in the hours and they put in the overtime then then they will find what they're looking for but you're not going to find it you're not going to find what you're looking for in in work and a job and In our career, and don't get me wrong, God created us to work. Work is a good thing. The only thing is God didn't create you to work by itself. Work in and of itself is never going to fill the void in your life. It's Father's Day. I heard about this father who, who was a workaholic. And he worked and he worked and he worked so that he could have more and more and more. And they had a house on the lake and they had all the boats and the toys and all of these things. It was incredible that he had, but he was never home. And one day his wife just looked at him and said, you keep on working like this. You keep on making all this money and sacrificing time with me and your kids. When you die, I'll enjoy it with my next husband. Let that sink in. We work ourselves to death so that we can provide for a family we love. And yet we're working so hard that we're neglecting the family we love. Understanding hard work is good. But when work becomes a God, it's bad. And I'm afraid there are some of us today who don't, work to live we live to work we have found our excitement we have found our energy we have found our identity in what we do and if you find your identity in what you do you've got the wrong identity Solomon came to the end of his time working he said it's empty it's meaningless it's useless so then what did he do he went down the road of money and possessions and wealth, but he discovered that money and possessions won't lead to satisfaction. Listen to what he said in verses 7 and 8. He said, I bought slaves, both men and women, and others were born into my household. I also owned large herds and flocks more than any of the kings who had lived in Jerusalem before me. I collected great sums of silver and gold, the treasures of many kings and provinces. Solomon's yearly income, is it is estimated, would have been over 5 to $10 billion. That's what Solomon would have raked in every year. Historians say that his palace and the surrounding grounds would have made Disney World look like a dump. Every year, he collected 25 tons of gold that he used primarily on himself. And yet, in spite of all of those resources and all of that wealth, he was miserable inside. A Wall Street Journal writer said this, money is an article which can be used as a universal passport to everywhere except heaven and as a universal provider of everything except happiness. You see, there are a lot of people that have a lot in their purse, but they don't have anything in their personhood. And because of that, they're miserable inside. That was Solomon. So Solomon went down one other path. He tried success. He thought, surely if I'm successful, if I make it to the top, then I'm going to find what I'm looking for. But listen to what he said in verse 9. He said, so I became greater than all who lived in Jerusalem before me, and my wisdom never failed me greater than everyone before me. He was a success. You can make it to the Hall of Fame. Whatever your career is, whatever your your path is, you can make it to the Hall of Fame. You can be the best in your field. But all of that success, it's not going to fill the emptiness, the void in your life. So here's Solomon. He went down the path of learning. He went down the path of pleasure, he went down the path of work, he went down the path of money, he went down the path of success, and it all left him empty. Do you know where it led? Listen to what he said in verse 17. He said, so I came to hate my life. Did you get that? Here's Solomon. He had more money than anyone else on the planet. He had more women More parties, more possessions. He had more success. He had hit all. He had the world in his hands. And yet he said, I hate my life. He went on to say, everything done here under the sun is so troubling. Everything done in this life apart from God is troubling. Everything is meaningless like chasing the wind. Everything. So what was Solomon's conclusion? Well we discovered it last week. After years and years and years of searching trying to find this one thing that could fill the emptiness in his life at the end of the book and chapter 12 he writes now here's my final conclusion fear God obey his commands for this is everyone's duty so the only thing that's going to fill the emptiness in your life is God you were created for a relationship with God everything else it's just a tool learning it's good as a tool Pleasure? There's nothing wrong with pleasure. God wants us to enjoy life. Work? The Bible says that we were created for work. God gave Adam a job to do in the garden. He was to work. Nothing wrong with work. Wealth? Nothing wrong with money. Nothing wrong with having a lot of money. If you realize that it comes from God and you use it for God's glory. And success? Well, goodness, the Bible says that if you obey God's word, he will make you successful. So certainly there's nothing wrong with being successful. The only problem is none of those things by themselves give you what you're looking for. You weren't created for those things. You were created for a relationship with God. And so if you're here and... And you've got some of these things. Maybe a good job, maybe a lot of money, maybe a lot of toys, maybe a great education, whatever else you want to put in there, fill in the blank, but there still is something missing inside. Tell you what it is it's God, it's your creator. You're missing that relationship with him. He created you. He made you for one purpose, one reason. To have a relationship with you. That's why you're here. You're not here to learn. You're not here to have fun. You're not here to make money. You're not here to be successful. You're here to have a relationship with God. And he wants that relationship to last for all Eternity. And that relationship is the only thing that's going to feel what's missing in here. That's why the rich young ruler came to Jesus. He was rich, he was young, he had everything. But the one thing he knew something was missing, he was lacking a relationship with God. And in the end, he walked away sad because he was willing, unwilling to give up the things in this world to have the one thing that would really make him happy. What about you? I don't know where you're at. I don't know your heart. But I know beyond a shadow of a doubt in a room this size, there are some of you here who you know... You know that you don't have a relationship with God. There's still that emptiness inside. You're searching, you're seeking, you're longing. Why why don't you quit looking? Why don't you surrender? Just give it to Him. I want you to bow your head. I want you to close your eyes. With your head bowed and with your eyes closed, if you're here and you know... That you've got an emptiness in your life that only God can fill. And you're ready to surrender it all to him. And give him your life. Then I want to encourage you to pray this prayer to him right now with a sincere heart. Dear God, I humbly come to you today. Acknowledging that I'm a sinner. I've been living life my way. I've been acting like I'm God. Forgive me. Jesus, I know you love me. I believe you came to this earth and died on the cross in my place. I believe you rose from the grave, defeating sin and death for me. And today I'm trusting you to save me. I'm giving you my life. Take control. From this moment on, I want to live for you, Jesus. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for saving me.